Skyline brings an urban lullaby still rings Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY. Your call in number 701-293-9000, You can email me, talk at WDAY.com or tweet me at Rob Port. Good afternoon, Natil. How are you? Doing pretty good today. Glad to hear it. So it, it sounds like the uh, the fight over parking meters in the legislature um, is is finally over. Um, it's it's not going anywhere. The, there was an effort to tuck it, to tuck a repeal of the state's ban on parking meters into the Department of Transportation budget bill, um, but it was it was stripped out. So. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, Governor Doug Burgum, who supported uh, repealing the state's ban, said in a statement he is, quote, disappointed that we've missed an overdue opportunity to restore a small missing piece of local control to political subdivisions, uh, and that will continue to be the only state in the nation denying cities a tool that helps support locally owned retailers and boost economic activity in core business districts. I think he's right. I, I, I think Governor Burgum is right. I uh, Listen, when, when the parking meter issue comes up, people get upset. They don't like the idea of having to pay to park downtown. They say, you know, they already pay taxes to build the roads and everything downtown. Why should they ha- have to pay to park there? But if it's implemented correctly, it could really help these downtown areas. And the reason why I say that is that parking meters aren't, maybe what you're thinking of. I mean, they've, they've come a long ways. There, there's a lot of very cool things you can do with them, such as congestion pricing. Uh, if you think about it, well, one, of the, one, of the, one of the complaints a lot of people have about downtowns is that it's hard to find parking, obviously. That's a big one. And that there's too much traffic sometimes, right? And parking meters can help solve two of those problems. Um, you know, by, by implementing congestion pricing, they can actually increase turnover. And I was, I was just reading in for some information from the U.S., the U.S. Department of Transportation, uh, the Federal Highway Administration. Uh, they had some information about the ParkSmart program in New York City. Now, this was something they implemented back in 2009. Uh, in some of the boroughs of, or, or some of the neighborhoods or areas of, of New York City, Park Slope, Brooklyn, uh, Greenwich Village, and the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And what they did is they implemented um, parking meters that essentially had congestion pricing, right? During peak demand for parking, prices went up. And the result there was, I quote, 18% more vehicles were able to find legal metered spaces as compared to pre-implementation levels a year earlier uh, that incurred op- occupancy. And, and then also this, traffic volumes declined by 7%, probably because people are able to find parking more quickly and they're spending less time circling. So you have fewer cars driving around looking for a parking place, more parking turnover, so more spaces are available. People are able to find parking spaces faster. I mean, well, why is that not something you would want for downtown. Why would we not want that? So I I don't know. I I think the legislature missed an opportunity. I think a lot of the opposition to lifting the ban on parking meters was misguided. 
What do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. You know, some of the really cool things that they can do with, with the parking meters is they can hook them. The parking meters can, can tell whether or not a space is occupied. So they could tell how many parking spaces in a given area are available. They can adjust pricing based on supply and demand so that if all of a sudden a bunch of the, the parking places are being used up uh, and then there's fewer available, they could start to raise prices, right, so that they reflect and you get a little bit of price, con- you know, congestion pricing there, which which might hold some of those spots open. It might also encourage some of the people who are in those spaces to move out of them more quickly to make them available for the next people who, who want to come along. You know, and, and, and for the people who say, well, you know, my tax has already paid for all the spaces down there. Why should I have to pay again to park there? Well, maybe you dedicate those revenues to, to offset some of the taxes we're paying to upkeep, say, roads and sidewalks and stuff in, in the downtown areas. Right? I mean, so if you implement this policy right, it can result in better availability of parking. You can focus the cost of maintaining the downtown areas on the people who use the downtown areas. So why not do that? Why not implement congestion pricing? Got a message here. Uh, Commissioner Tony Garrick's <laughs> Fargo city commissioner. Uh, Tony Garrick says uh, taxes on anything are a deterrent. If you tax people to park, they won't park. Uh, ultimately meaning they will come downtown less. We will kill the golden goose that we have spent so much. Uh, all of the upsides you are proposing are assertions. Now, I don't think they are assertions. I think they're backed up by actual practices in other parts of the country. Uh, San Francisco's done something similar. Other parts of the country where you have urban areas with limited amounts of parking that have struggled with this stuff have found that you can have better turnover, better access to parking, with congestion pricing. It's it's really the same way. It, it's one of the big advantages Uber has over taxi companies, right? Uber does congestion pricing. And one of the reasons why they're able to make Uber cars available so much more often, right? Why why it's it's they can get to you so much quicker is because during peak demands, they raise their prices. Right? So they make you if you really need an Uber, well then you pay the price. If you can wait 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour, then you wait, and then you can get a lower price. I, I don't know why we would want to deny ourselves this availability. And, and listen, if we could, yeah, okay, so you have to pay to park downtown, but also you're going to have more parking spaces available, and also you're going to have less traffic downtown. Aren't those things valuable too? Don't those have value? I think they do. I think the legislature missed a big opportunity with this. But uh, let's take a break. Love to hear from you. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Hey, don't forget, coming up a little bit later in the program, Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to be joining me for our weekly open phone segment. Stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. This is The Rob Report on 970 WDAY. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. I honestly don't see what the big deal is about 
parking meters, right? I mean, you tie the cost of people using downtown areas to the people. You you tie the cost of maybe maintaining downtown areas to the people using downtown areas. And there's all sorts of things that you can do. I mean, you can get really creative with this stuff. You can even, in some cities I've been reading, they actually strike deals with businesses that have, like, their own parking lots or whatever downtown, private areas parking. And they'll do something like put parking meters in those areas with some sort of an agreement with that business. The idea being that the business will reserve their parking for, you know, whatever hours they want to, maybe during business hours when their employees are there. But in the evening... You know, the parking meters come on and people, the public's allowed to park there and they pay the meter and the business maybe gets a cut of that and the city gets a cut of that and boom, there's more parking available for the downtown nightlife or whatever. Like there are all sorts of things that you could do. And I'm not saying that every one of these ideas is going to work for Fargo or Grand Forks or Bismarck or whatever city we're talking about. All I'm saying is that if we get rid of the statewide ban on parking meters, we allow local governments to maybe come up with some creative solutions for this stuff. Solutions that could offset the costs of maintaining downtowns. Solutions that could increase the availability of parking. Solutions that could decrease the amount of traffic downtown. What is so bad about those things? Honestly, what what are we so afraid of? Is it going to cost you a couple bucks to park downtown if you go down for an hour or something? Come on. Hey, the other thing I like that the uh, legislature did, they passed uh, changes to North Dakota's voter ID law. Now, it's been a bit of a journey on this area of public policy. Uh, we had, in two, during the 2015 session, lawmakers had changed. They had removed uh, what what you were allowed to, if, if you cast a ballot, you were allowed to, um, and you didn't have proper ID, you were basically allowed to sign an affidavit saying, I am who I say I am, and I am from where I say I'm from. Uh, therefore, I'm allowed to vote. You cast your ballot with that affidavit, and your ballot counted. Um, before that affidavit was ever actually verified, as a matter of fact, we didn't do a lot of verifying of those affidavits. Um, we could have had, you know, thousands and thousands of them were used, you know, because a federal judge. The legislature 2015 removed the ability to use those affidavits. Now, a federal judge then struck that down, so we went back to using the affidavits for 2016. And so what the legislature did this time is they said, you know, you could cast a ballot if you don't have an ID, but you cast it with, uh, you cast a set-aside ballot. So essentially your ballot gets set aside, it gets put in like a sealed envelope or something like that, and then you can come back with ID, with proper ID to to prove your identity at which point your ballot counts. And I I like that. I, I like the idea of not counting a ballot that we don't have valid proof for. Now, that passed in the legislature. It goes to Governor Doug Burgum. I'm not sure if he's going to sign it or not. Maybe he will. Uh, if, it, if it becomes law, some are saying that this is going to get struck down by the courts too. And maybe it will. I don't know. Uh, it, it sure seems, though, like the courts are applying some pretty goofy standards when it comes to voter ID. And, and here's what makes me say that. We have, for about as long as we've been voting in America, we have had laws on the books governing who can vote. Um, now, obviously, some of those laws weren't very good. We used to limit voting to, like, 
white men who own property. I think we can all agree that's not good. But even today, we have laws regarding how old you have to be to vote. We have laws regarding voter registration, right? You have to be a registered voter before you can cast the ballot. Not North Dakota, but other states have that. Um, We have laws regarding residency, how long you have to live in a certain place before you're a resident in North Dakota. That's very loose. You just have to be in a resident 30 days. You have to be at your address for 30 days, then you're a resident. Um, So we have all these laws. And we say, you know, we have to meet these requirements to vote, voter qualification laws. And it seems like we're all fine with those laws, you know, saying, well, you can't be a citizen of Canada and vote in North Dakota. You can't be a citizen of Nebraska and decide who's going to be the mayor of Fargo. Right. We all agreed those are good laws. But yet, for some reason, efforts to ensure at the polling place that those laws are followed Efforts to ensure that we don't have somebody from, say, Moorhead voting in North Dakota to decide who the next senator from North Dakota is going to be. That those laws are unconstitutional. That those laws are beyond the pale. Oh, they're just terrible. Well, why is that? I mean, why? If we can't require ID, if we can't say, well, you can't cast a ballot unless you get an ID or unless you you, you, you meet these criteria to prove you are who you say you are and that you're a qualified voter, if we can't have that stuff, then why even have voter qualification? Why not just let people vote wherever the hell they want as many times as they want and we'll just elect people that way? I mean, if that's how it's going to be. It almost seems like that's what the courts want. Just, oh, well, you can't. You can't actually, like, stop somebody from voting if they don't have valid ID. It's racist. It's unconstitutional. It's everything else. Baloney. Now, listen, I, I get if, if you're going to put those requirements in place, you got to make accommodations for people who are elderly or poor or disabled or what have you. And I think North Dakota can do that. I mean, already you can get an ID by basically just signing an affidavit of indigency at the Department of Transportation. Boom, you can get a state issue ID. Right. For long-term, under the current law, for for people in long-term care facilities, you can get a certificate that acts as ID. We've got allowances for members of the military who are deployed. You could vote absentee if you're disabled and you can't leave your home. You could sign an affidavit and vote absentee that way. So we make allowances there. And I would even go so far as to say the state of North Dakota should maybe think about having some sort of like a mobile DMV program, right? where we take the computers and the supplies and everything we need, I don't know, we load it in a truck or an RV home or something, and we do a tour, a regular tour of, of the rural areas of the state to make sure the people who are out in the boonies can get those services, can get an ID. But the thing that is ridiculous is this idea that somehow requiring identification at the polls is this abhorrent, terrible thing. Well, that's ridiculous. That's just partisanship. It really is. Congressman Kevin Kramer coming up next. Open phones. You got praise. You got criticism. You got questions. Call in next here on The Rob Report. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Or you can tweet me, too, at Rob Port. Got Congressman Kevin Kramer on for our weekly open phone segment. And certainly uh, join us with any comments, questions, criticisms, praise. We'll take whatever you got. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for the time. Thanks, Rob. Uh, great to be with you, and I appreciate all of those things as well, whatever people have on their mind. Well, I wanted to, speaking of that, I, w- I wanted to read a letter to the editor uh, from, uh, it's in the Fargo form. It's from uh, Cheryl Shafley. I, I may be pronouncing that wrong. I apologize, Cheryl, if you're listening. Uh, she writes um, that, uh, she said, the headline is, National Stories About North Dakota Used to Be Positive, What Happened? Uh, she says, one year ago I retired and moved back to Fargo, and I am still receiving articles from my former colleagues. They are a little different now. She said previously that they used to be so positive. Uh, she continues, lately the articles highlight Representative Kevin Kramer and his antagonistic comments disparaging women wearing pantsuits or defending Sean Spicer's remarks on Hitler not using chemical weapons and disparaging the press for condemning those same remarks. I've been back in North Dakota for a year, and I find that the state I left is not the same to which I've returned. All I could say is, what happened? Do you feel you've been getting a lot of attention for some of these comments lately? Do you regret any of it? <laughs> Rob, if I, if I, first of all, if I read every letter, critical letter to the editor, it wouldn't be good for my mental health. Plus, it'd be a waste of most of my time. And people, while I welcome people's, uh, you know, letters to the editor, to the Fargo Forum, or any other newspaper. These are so clearly politically motivated, and, and uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't know this person. I don't recall reading a letter to Andrew about how great North Dakota was and how great the news coverage was prior to my being talked about as a potential Senate candidate. But I think we have to. If we, you don't have to be cynical to, to understand and to, to see that there's a very specific and literal uh, campaign uh, trying to just you know disparage my reputation in North Dakota. But those things don't. They just don't bother me a lot, and if they did, I'd be in the wrong line of business, quite honestly. So, uh, but no, I mean, I can't. It's I don't think it's a deep secret that they that we have a media that is antagonistic toward Donald Trump and that uh, that loves to exaggerate negative news stories about him, and you know, to the even to some degree, um, you know, exaggerate facts if not make them up. So no, I, I defend Donald Trump. One of the things we don't have, one of the things in politics we don't have enough of, is people that. Um, go to the wall for each other, go to the mat for each other, that don't that don't apologize for their political support for somebody. And I'm I'm very pleased to be a supporter of Donald Trump's and I'm grateful that uh, for the many things that he's done for this country in the very short time he's been our president. And so I, I like to highlight the positive things about our country and uh, when people um do things like uh, disparage him at, at this at his uh, first uh, speech to the uh, joint session of Congress by making lewd gestures and comments about him, um, I'll call them out. It, it, when the media exaggerates something that John Spicer said that might have been foolish, but certainly, you know, but certainly not uh, deserving of the type of criticism that he received. You know, I'm going to call them out. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. And frankly, I think the vast majority of North Dakotans, I get much more encouragement from people, by the way, from those things than I do discouragement from, from folks. But there's clearly a campaign going on, and that's, that's okay. That's, that's America. 701-293-9000 if you want to join the program, 888-970-9329. A lot, of, lot being made about fundraising recently. Someone mm-hmm. leaked to the press, Senator Heidi Heitkamp's fundraising. She had a pretty impressive uh, total. And I, I do see her FEC reports up now, and she does have a, mm-hmm. a, 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 a big fundraising total there. 
uh, Mike McFeely going through yours, which is not as much. Is he also highlighting? I, I saw in his column that you um, you took you took money from oil companies, and and he, according yeah. to him, you know, optics be darned. He said you were unapologetic about it. Is is that another mm-hmm. thing? Where I mean, I, I guess I'm not exactly shocked that somebody from North Dakota gets money from the oil industry. I'm sure Heidi Heitkamp gets her share as well. That's not exactly something to alert the Pulitzer Prize Committee about. Well, I'd be concerned if we had a representative from North Dakota that didn't support North Dakota's major industries and the workers that are employed by it and, the, you know, the incredible contribution that are oil and gas and coal and wheat and corn and, um, you know, uh, software and all the other major industries in our state. That The contribution they make to our state's economy and to our public coffers is significant, and they, of course, support politicians who support the policies that allow them to be successful in a place like North Dakota. So, you know, it's fine. I thought the, I thought the story was just fine, and he, he uh, quoted me exactly as I said things. And uh, I think, again, you, you get some of these politicians who, you know, they, they want contributions from certain people, and, and yet they, you know, they want to spread them out over time so it doesn't look so obvious. <laughs> I'm like, well, if, you, if, if somebody support for you, if you're going to be embarrassed to take some support, um, are you equally embarrassed to support the things that that um, you know help them be successful in your state? So, no, I I thought it was a it was a fine enough story, but I don't apologize for taking contributions from the top industries in our state. I'd be embarrassed if I if they didn't feel I was supporting them well enough. Let's let's talk national trends a little bit. And by the way, if you want to get your comments mm-hmm. or questions in for the congressman, seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Um, let's let's talk we we had a special election in kansas uh yeah. last night we had a special election in georgia both instances mm-hmm. well not in georgia there's going to be a runoff in georgia because we had yeah. like like a hundred republican candidates or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. 11 anyway, yeah. Uh, right yeah <laughs> so there's going to be a runoff in georgia but in kansas the republican won the narrative though is that you know democrats made these clay races closer than it should have and it may pretend ugly things for republicans going into the 2018 election cycle what say you well a couple of things first of all um there are special elections which are very difficult to use as a as a um, barometer of things to come because special elections are very small in terms of turnout um they tend to be of course singular they're the only election on a given day, so there's a lot more focus on them. But that said, I have been amused at how much Democrats have tried, and their very good friends in the liberal media tried to pretend that somehow their losses were victories. Um, I know that the Kansas representative is a Republican. We have one more Republican now in the House than we had a couple of weeks ago. Um, with regard to Georgia last night, while the one Democrat got 48%, all the Democrats added up, all seven of them or eight of them got 48.6 percent. So the Republicans actually won in a, in a general election format, and, uh, and now it'll be a one-on-one election between a Republican and a Democrat. We'll see how it, how it turns out. But now there's just so much hype and sort of dramatization by the media over the horse races. And, and that's the thing I find a little bit discouraging, Rob, in, in all honesty, and that is our media is so hung up on the politics of things when there are really serious public policy discussions being taking place and, and disagreements in some cases, for sure. We see what's going on you know, in the Korean Peninsula with Russia. Uh, you know, with, with uh, now we find out that uh, you know the spying and unmasking of of, uh, of uh, citizens of the United States by the previous uh, administration. Um, 
and and uh, and a whole bunch of regulations being rolled back that are helping our economy and, and job creation. Just a lot of important stuff and debates going on, and yet the news seems to be about the, the drama of a campaign, a, pol- a politics, or especially a special house election. And I just think it's disproportionate. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Give us some insight on some of these important policy discussions going on. Mm-hmm. What's what's happening? So um, you know, today you might have noticed that the um, the EPA uh, announced uh, that they're uh, putting a hold on some of the um, the emissions regulations relating to oil and gas industry, and that they are taking make you know reviewing some of those. Uh, I think it's a very important move. It's very important to North Dakota. It goes right to the heart of the North Dakota energy economy. Um, the the, um, the discussion now, you know, one of the more obvious things going on, of course, in Congress is discussion about the repeal and replacement of Obamacare. Just where is that going to lead? Uh, I know we have a conference call. We Republican House Republicans have a conference call Saturday um, before going back into session next Tuesday uh, to see where we are in negotiations between the, the most conservative members of our conference and the most moderate members and most liberal members of our conference. It's a pretty big gap, um, and, uh, and still with, in hopes that we can get some sort of an agreement to pass a bill and then take up tax reform and infrastructure. And uh, so there's a lot of discussion on the tax reform piece, of course, to, because it depends on whether we repeal Obamacare or not, which has a trillion dollars of tax increases in it. Um, but a lot of discussion about things, Rob, like border adjustability, really nerdy stuff and worthy of discussion, and I'd be very interested in people's feedback on it because it has implications for exports and for imports, and it's part of the Buy America uh, or and, and Made in America uh, populist theme, if you will, of this president. But, well, let's, let's uh, talk about that. I, I had, I had yeah. uh, jo- uh, Jason Flores from Americans for Prosperity on yesterday, oh, mm-hmm. his organization opposing that. His argument is it's a they tax do. that's just going to get passed on to consumers anyway, and then a point I made during that discussion is that it's something that could have, you know, if we start taxing what other countries are trying to export into our country, then what we're trying to export into their countries could, you know, they could be prompted to put some sort of inhibitive policy on that. I mean, is this really something we want to support? Is this really good for our economy? I don't know that we want to support it, it's, but it is one of the um Topics of discussion at this point. I, one thing I would say is that you know, pretty much every other country, major country in the in the world, does some sort of a value-added tax. Now, that, the difference between value-added tax and what I understand as a, a um, border adjustability tax is value-added taxes apply to everything that is purchased in that country and 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 sold. So that includes things that are made in that country as well as things that are imported uh, from other countries. So they're adding that tax onto products made in the United States and sold in their country. Um, whereas a border adjustability tax, what it does is it flips. Right, right now, um, companies get to deduct the cost of importing, uh, you know, products that are imported. And so it gives an advantage, obviously, to the country selling into the United States. But we put a tax on things that we export. Now, that does seem, at its, on its face, kind of silly. Um, so I think... Oh, did we lose a congressman? Hello, Kevin. All right. Well, we may have lost. Uh, we may have lost Kevin. So uh, I tell you what. Let's go to a break. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. This is the Rob Report on nine seventy WDAY. We'll be back. Don't go away.
Welcome back. Rob Report. 701-293-9000. I'll talk at WDAY.com. I'm going to be out tomorrow. Tim Flackle is going to sit in, former uh, state senator. I'm going to be in Bismarck uh, addressing the Lignite Energy Council, uh, their annual meetings down there. And uh, they asked me to come and talk about sort of the new media landscape, which I guess I guess that's my thing. So uh, that's look fun. I should be looking forward to it. I'm sure Tim will uh, keep you all entertained in my absence. Uh, Mark, going back to the parking meters uh, issue that we started the show with, Mark emails, uh, sorry, Robert, your argument for parking meters doesn't hold water. I don't know of one city council around where I live that has ever willingly returned taxes to its residents ever. So, yes, I've paid taxes multiple times for downtown. I pay uh, pay for it through taxes and specials. I pay taxes because of the Renaissance Zone. I pay taxes on my taxes. My taxes are going up because the Republicans in this state are incompetent and know the Democrats aren't any better. Uh, I wrote actively to my state legislators to vote no on this garbage, no more taxes, period. Uh, another email says uh, from Scott says, I live in Bismarck. Maybe other cities are different, uh, but here we have a 39-block area. They get so many tax incentives that I can't name them all, uh, TIF, etc. cetera. Uh, the downtown businesses probably only pay on specials on roads. I really don't think that someone living in another part of town should have to pay uh, for their and my own specials now, too. Uh, the mall businesses should get a lot more business. Then we can give the downtown businesses more b- money because of the loss of revenue. No thanks. Uh, parking meters at schools, hospitals. Let's go all in and put them everywhere and get rid of specials. Um, I mean, listen, the, the argument that I'm making on parking meters is that you can use them as a congestion pricing tour, tool to drive down traffic and drive up parking availability in congested downtown areas, and then perhaps you can use that revenue to offset other taxes, right? Don't let the local governments use it as new revenue to increase spending. Use it to offset other areas. I don't know. Maybe put it in a fund and use that fund instead of Renaissance Zones and some of the other stuff. Use that fund to subsidize downtown development. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways you could structure it. And and the point is, why not get rid of the state ban and allow local governments to use this as a policy tool. And if your local government screws you over, if they do it in a bad way, well, then that's your fault for voting for those people. Vote for better people. But I don't understand why this can't even be a tool in the toolbox. Right? Why, why do we have to have a statewide ban? Maybe there's a city in North Dakota who could find a good way to do this. So, I don't know. I'm not sure why we lost Congressman Kramer uh, coming out of that. Uh, I, I guess we'll we'll talk with him next week, but I don't know. We got disconnected or something. I do think it's kind of funny, you know, a lot of people asking about the, the oil, and that was certainly uh, Mike McFeely's uh, column that he took money from Energy Transfer Partners, and I, I didn't bring up Energy Transfer Partners specifically with him, but obviously he takes a lot of money from the oil industry. A big deal. Of course he does. Senator Heitkamp takes a lot of money from the oil industry. Senator Heitkamp probably gets a lot of money from the coal industry, too. These are very important industries in our state. Politicians get a lot of money. from Democrats, in particular, get a lot of money from labor unions. Teachers unions. All sorts of people with all sorts of different interests. People who want to build coal mines. People who want to block coal mines. People who want to drill for oil. People who want to ban oil. All of these people give money to politicians all the time. And that's how democracy works. That's politics. 
You are allowed to go out and work to support the political causes that you supported. Work to support the candidates that you support, that you like, that you think will do the best job, that may even, yes, impact your pocketbook in a positive way through the policies that they promote. That's okay. I'm not sure why that's seen as such a dirty thing. Now, it should all be disclosed. It should all be transparent. And I think there's a lot of things we could do better to make it more transparent. But the idea of those donations are not inherently bad. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. You can catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com. Tim Flackle in for me tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. I told that girl that my prospects were-